It seems like older, and some of y'all are probably that are older than I, Dad. Uh, <laughs> until you get to however old you may be, but uh, yeah, uh huh. He tells me all the time, "Oh, you just wait, it's coming." But, uh, I thank God for for what he's done in this meeting already. I thank him for saving me. I thank him for allowing those of us that are here to make it uh, here today. I know many were not able to make it. It's a blessing to be here. Uh, my wife's not here. Um, she's back with our youngest son, Luke. He's not doing well, but uh, he's he's making it. He's making it. But um, thank God for his grace. I thank him for his love and his mercy. And uh, I was going to, I was talking to my pastor a little bit. Uh, I was intending on doing a message about love. I think it was uh, found somewhere in the book of John, but I went a little different direction. We're going to be in First John, chapter number 3, and I will, uh, in the introduction, I will talk for a moment about love because without the love that we'll be speaking of, the rest of this message would not be. And so, just for a few moments... I'm going to talk a little bit about love and how God loves you and I and how we love Him. Again, 1 John will be in chapter number 3, beginning in verse 1. Just read down through verse number 3, I believe. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And every man that hath this hope in Him purifieth himself, even as He is pure. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for uh, placing the burden of this meeting on our pastor's heart. God, I pray that you'll hide me now behind the cross, Father, and I pray for you to be lifted up and you to be glorified, God, in your word and your spirit, God, to be heard and felt. And we thank you, God, for moving in the hearts of the pews and uh, up here behind this pulpit. I pray that you'll touch the remainder of the service. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, as I mentioned, I'm going to speak just for a moment by way of introduction about the love. It says, behold. That means stop and take a second and think about this and ponder on this. What manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us? And we all know for God, it's already been mentioned, so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever shall call upon Him shall be whosoever shall call on Him shall have everlasting life. And I'm going to read a uh, the uh, the 1828, I believe it is, Webster definition of love. It's a little bit lengthy reading, but I want to read this and then make a couple of statements about it. It says, in a general sense, to be pleased with, to regard with affection. Pastor, you preached about setting your affection on some things, setting your affection on the things above, but on account of some qualities which excite pleasing sensations or desire of gratification. We love a friend on account of some qualities which give us pleasure in his society. We love a man who has done us a favor, in which case gratitude enters into the composition of our affection. We love our parents and our children on account of their connection with us and on account of many qualities which please us. 
We love to retire to a cool shade in summer. We love a warm room in winter, Brother David. I know you get cold all the time. I know you love a warm room in the winter. We love to hear an eloquent advocate. And you and I have an advocate. The Christian loves his Bible. In short, we love whatever gives us pleasure and delight. Whether uh, And if our hearts are right, we love God above all Things as the sum of all excellence and all the attributes which can communicate happiness to intelligent beings. In other words, the Christian loves God with the love of complacency in his attributes, the love of benevolence towards the interest of his kingdom and the love of gratitude for favors received. So we can see in this lengthy definition how you and I, why you and I may have a love for the father. But none of this really makes sense for why he would have a love for us. Because there's nothing that we've done for him. There's nothing that you and I have done to deserve his love. There's no benefit that he really needs from you and I that would, that would, uh, give him a love for you and I. But God so loved the world. He gave His only begotten Son. I don't know why He loves you and I. I cannot fathom it in my finite mind why He would love us. But we can think of a multitude of reasons of why you and I ought to love Him. Why you and I can love Him. Why you and I should love Him. That we could go on and on about the blessings, the things He's he's done for us, and, and the things that He's helped us through in this life of why we ought to love Him and why we can love Him, but it really makes no sense why He would love you and I. Why would He love a vessel like me? Why would He love someone who's been drenched in sin? Why would He love someone who's who's just turned against Him time and time again in my past? I cannot I cannot think about why He would love me. But now, even in the present, I still cannot see why He would love me because there's nothing in me but Him that is honored. That, that, that is, is, uh, worthy of his love. There's nothing in me that is worthy. Brother David, you were talking about desiring that call to preach. And I, I didn't deserve that call in my life. I don't know why he called me to preach. I'm not any better than anyone else. Just yesterday, I was talking to a young lady and her child. Uh, we've done some work for them and they pulled up at another job. A little girl, I've tried to get her to come to church, but she don't want to come. But I was talking to them. And she seems to think that I think that I'm better than everybody because she knows who I used to be. And it seems like she thinks that I think I'm better because I am better than, than who I used to be in a sense, if y'all get what I'm saying. But I, she puts off like she thinks that I think I'm better than she is because I've changed. Because he changed me. And I tried to express to her, I said, there's, there's, I'm no better than you. I'm no better than him. I'm no better than anyone else on the face of this earth. But God is so loved the world. He so loved you. He so loved me. He so loved each and every person that they may call upon him to be saved. I said, there is nothing different about me than there is about you. But he that lives in me, he is the better one. He is the only one and he is worthy of our praise. That you see that there was a change in my life, but it was not not because of me. Amen. There's nothing I could do to deserve it. By grace are you saved. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. There was nothing I could do, there's nothing I can do to earn His grace. He gives it freely as the gift of God. 
we all were sinners. This is the, the title to the message is past, present, and future. Past, present, and future. We all have a past. We're all in the present. And we all have a future. Amen. There's two sides of that coin, especially for the future. But there's two sides of that coin. You see, Romans 3.23 says, We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So in your past, you are a sinner. Now, if you've never been saved throughout this whole message, I may, I may mention a couple of things about maybe what you are if you're still lost. But mostly, if you're still lost today, you're stuck in this past state. But if you're saved today, you were a sinner. You were sorry. You were slothful. You were sickly. You were steeped in sin. And I wrote that one down and I began to think, you know, everybody's been sick lately. So I was drinking when I was sick. I was drinking a lot of green tea with honey and lemon. It's supposed to help with some things. But I would I would take that green tea bag and steep it in the hot water. And you sit that tea bag in the water and you begin to see the tea, the good, be sucked out of that bag and becomes a part of that water. And you were, and I was, steeped in sin. You were set down in sin. You were set down in that hot water like that bag of tea. And all of your good began to be sucked out of you. And then you soon see no difference in the water and the tea. You soon see no difference in you and the sin. You see, as a Christian, we're supposed to love the sinner, but hate the sin. But sometimes you become the sin, in a sense. You, you put that tea bag in that water, and it all becomes tea. There's no separation in it. Steeped. In sin. You were separated from God. I think about Adam. Brother, you mentioned Adam briefly. I think about Adam. He was not, there was, there was no separation from him and God until sin. And we could go, I believe it could be preached on either side and there could be some truth in both sides, whether it's Eve's fault or Adam's fault. But the point is, there's separation from God because of sin. And you and I were separated from God. We were set to fail. We were sorrowful. We were saddened. We were sinking. We were Satan's slaves. We were sons of Satan. Man born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. A man born the first birth is naturally a son of Satan. Your father, the devil, you were Satan's slave. You were Satan's son. When you were born into this world, when you were born into sin, you were Satan's son. You were a slave to sin. You were a slave to Satan. I think I have this marked. John, y'all don't have to turn there, but the book of John, chapter 8, uh, verse number 44. I can get over there. John 8, 44 says, Ye are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. 
When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. Now, Jesus is speaking here to some Pharisees and some Jews that are there against him. Some, some non-believers, if you will. You are of your father, the devil. So, past, we were some things. We were sinners. This goes to those that are saved that you were. Now, if you're not saved, you still are a sinner lost and on your way to hell. You still are. We were lost without hope. We were looking for something. We were leaning on nothing. We were living on the outside, yet dying on the inside. We were liking everything and loving nothing. Living for nothing and dying for everything. Longing to live, but looking to die. I feel the need to explain those last two, especially living for nothing, but dying for everything. We really had nothing to live for. But everything that we would try to do, you see, the uh, the result of sin is death. Everything we were looking for, everything that we were doing, we're dying for it. And then longing to live, but looking to die. Really, deep down inside of us, we wanted life. We wanted to live. But everything we were looking for had death in it. Everything that we were looking for in our past state had death attached to it. But we are, secondly, we are some things, past, present, and future. This is if you're born again, we are some things. Look right here in First uh, John chapter 3, verse number 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. We are, you see, we were the sons of Satan. We now, we are the sons of God. You and I that have been born again, we now are the sons of of God. Amen. Romans 8.15 says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. At verse 16 and 17, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are, we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. You see, we are the children of God. We are saved. By what? Grace. We are saved by grace. My sister sang just a few moments ago, if not for grace. If not for grace. There's probably two places that I would be if not for grace. But I'm pretty sure I would be in hell. There's not a person that could convince me that if I'd not got saved on April the 12th of 2020, you would not convince me if I'd not got saved that day that I wouldn't be in hell right now. Now, the other possible place that I think that I would be, it'd be jail. But... Seriously, I'd be in hell today if it were not for God's saving grace. It is not, it is not anything that I had done but the gift that God gave. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. Ephesians 2, if I can get right there. Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And I begin to think about this and about people boasting and being prideful and, and things of that nature. And 
Little Benny, you like wearing your suit, don't you? It makes you feel good, don't it? You see, and sometimes we get caught up in that outward appearance and the, and the things that, that you see on the outside. And you put on that suit and you go, man, I feel good. Man, I feel good about myself. But it's been said before, it's not the suit that makes the man, and I may say it a little differently, but it's that inner man that maybe makes you want to put on a suit. And I'm not saying if you're saved today that you got to wear a suit, but it's that inner man that makes you change on the inside, and he makes you change on the outside. Me putting on this suit, just as I said earlier, I ain't no better than you. You ain't no better than me. I ain't no better than that drunk out there on the street. I ain't no better than that one with the needle in the arm. If it wasn't for the grace of God, I'd be right there with him. Or even worse, like I said, I'd be in hell today if it were not for the grace of God. God help us to remember. God help us remind us, stir us up by way of remembering that we are nothing without Him. We are nothing without Christ. We serve a great God, brother. We serve a great God today. And it is but by grace that you and I are not burning in hell today. And can I tell you today that if you are lost, if you've never been saved, you still find yourself in this past state of a sinner. And you'll find yourself in, 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 the, in the present steeped in sin. And you'll find yourself in the future burning in an everlasting and eternal and a forever and forever hell in torture and torment for the rest of I wouldn't say the rest of your days, but we can't really even grasp. The rest of our days, we think of our time here. Forever and ever. There, there's no end to it. I'll be closing with this. We shall be. Past, present, and future. We were some things. We are some things. But we shall be. We shall be some things. Verse number 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. And we can go through this Bible and we can pull out things that He is. We can pull out some ways that He is. And we don't really know fully and understand in our finite minds exactly what that is like. But we know that we shall be like Him on that day that He returns for you and I. Or that day that your body, well, before your body's laid in the grave, when you pass from death, you shall be like Him. If you are saved, if you are born again, you shall be like him uh y'all, where y'all at y'all sing that song look, look, there he is and braylon y'all sing that song more like you uh-huh. less like me how real that ought to be to us here but there's going to be a day we're not just going to be more like him but we're going to be like him and there's going to come a day that we're going to be with him we're going to be more like Him. We're going to be like Him. We're going to be with Him. We're going to be in a glorified body. We shall be free from our flesh. We are freed from sin in this life, but we still have this flesh that we dwell in. We still have uh, trials. We still have temptations. We still have hurt. We still have tears. We still have mourning. But one day we shall be delivered from all of this, from the world that we live in. We shall be delivered from it. We shall be taken out of this world. You and I shall be. Like Him. I just want to say this quickly in closing. If you're not saved, you shall be forever in torture. You shall be forever in torment. And this is not me 
trying to trying to overshadow you and scare you. But if the Bible teaches, if you have never been saved, if you have never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ that gave his life for you and I. And there's a lot of people that think, OK, he's already done everything. I can do what I want to now because he he the sins of the world have been forgiven. Right. That's that's the Bible does not teach that. The Bible does not teach to continue in sin, to continue to dwell in sin because He's already paid for it. But He desires, God desires for you and I, Christ desires for you and I to put our trust in Him, to live for Him. He gave His life for you and I. It's our reasonable service to give our life for Him, to do for Him. One more thing real quick, and I'll close, preacher. I think I'm about about right on time. I I mentioned the, the folks I was talking to yesterday. I told them, I said... You know, I got, this is, this is kind of, you know, how it happened. I got to a place in my life, I was at a rock bottom. Thankfully, I had already been exposed to some church. I'd already been exposed that there is a Lord in heaven, that, that Jesus Christ did die for you and I. So I got to a place in my life, I was at a rock bottom, and I cried out. And we can, we can argue, I won't, but we can argue that God doesn't hear the prayer of a lost man, but I do know that He receiveth such as be as a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And I believe that on that day, there was some sincerity. Now, I'm not speaking yet of the day I got saved, but I fell on my knees and I prayed to God. And I said, God, please do whatever, whatever it takes to get me where I need to be with you. And the thing about it is I didn't just say that. But God had allowed me to get to a point where I was so broken that I meant it. I did not care if it costed me a limb. I did not care if it costed me a loved one. I was broken and I was ready to do whatever I needed to do to give my life over to Him. But I realized I could not do it in myself. I did not have the strength to leave that stuff alone. I did not have the strength to save myself. I did not have what it took to to enter into the gates of heaven. I did not have what it took to save myself from hell. But I said, God, please do whatever it takes, God, to get me right with you. Do whatever it takes. I don't care what you have to do. Put me on my back. God, whatever it takes, save me. I didn't say save me then, but it was just a few months. There there was just maybe a week after that, several things transpired, and I found out what it took. I found out what it took, and it took some things. But thank God. He loves us enough to allow us to go through what it takes. It takes something different for each and every person. And He knows what it takes. And he's, He may not allow those things to happen until you're ready for it. Until you're real with Him. Until you're truthful with Him. Until you really do not care what it takes to get right with Him. Then, He knows you're ready. And He'll do His part. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins.